Welcome back to the hum and the holler. This is our adventure through beloved stranger, the calendar for 2022, which is full of fables. And these fables are published on our website on the first of every month, a chapter each month. And then on this podcast, we'll read the chapter aloud and then talk a bit about what's coming up for us in this part of the story. Also, the fables, so you all know, are appropriate for all ages, but these podcasts may not be. (laughs) So you may want to screen them before sharing with a youngster or somebody with a sensitive mind, sensitive ears. (laughs) And we'd like to remind you that we want to hear from you this year. We are asking listeners to share their stories with us. There's a list of themes. There's a link for leaving us a voice memo. You can go to abacuscorvus.com slash podcast and leave us a voice memo. Check out the details on that page. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. And you can also check out our bonus astrology feed called The Hum. That's where I give you the highlights of the astrology from new moon to new moon. The next one will be dropping on March 31st in time for the Aries new moon on April 1st. That is right. We are so glad you're joining this conversation. We are Abacus Corvus. I am Joe, and I am breathing and seeing and alive in the hills of Madison County in Western North Carolina on stolen Cherokee land. And I am Karina, and I am sitting on a pillow on the floor surrounded by blankets in a makeshift podcast studio fort on Lenny Lenape land, also known as Philadelphia. And Before we dive into the podcast, we just want to send so much love and gratitude to our Patreon supporters. Thank you. We're so grateful for you. Okay, so this month we are in chapter three of our fables. Karina, do you want to read it to us? I would love to. Chapter three, The Gathering. All day and on into evening, the Crow family gathered. Parents and children, cousins and grandparents, large crows, small crows, loud crows, and louder crows. Some had heard the details of Crow's dream and were alarmed. Others had heard some rumor of it and were more alarmed. Some were angry. Some were confused. All of them had something to say and when saying it didn't make them feel better, they tried saying it again a little louder. As day became dusk, they lit lanterns against the growing dark, along the creek to help them see. They were unaccustomed to being out of their nests at night. Only big bad things would warrant it. They also hoped their lanterns would warn off nocturnal animals, whose eyes they imagined would hurt from so much light. And so, in the warm glow of the lanterns, their conference continued loud and long. Small animals trying to sleep heard the crows barking in throaty conversations and ran off to find quieter beds for the night. Keen-eared animals, far across the hill, could hear every word that was said. This is our forest, and we have to defend it. We have to keep our hatchlings safe, said one over and over. I've heard owls are so quiet. Quiet and cunning, they can snatch food right out of your mouth, said one with a thrill of excitement. I've heard they have mysterious powers, said another ominously. 
I've heard they're too dumb to talk properly. They just hoot gibberish, said one who considered herself one of the smarter crows in the family. But how can they be cunning and dumb at the same time? asked young crow, who was always asking uncomfortable questions like this. There was an offended, feather-preening silence. Eventually, one said, must be one of their mysterious powers. Crow moved through the crowd, nodding and cawing with a sense of importance. Amongst all these brilliant minds, she was sure someone would know what to do. But the night wore on, and even as dawn approached, the crows still could not agree. Many had gone up to their nests to keep thinking, and hadn't come back for hours. Some were dozing off mid-sentence. It was in this bleary-eyed blue hour that one famously bad-tempered crow, a distant cousin, sidled up to her. There was really only one thing to do, he croaked. We've got to find those owls and teach them a lesson. We've got to go to war. Crow felt her feathers prickle, as though the dawn had suddenly become quite cold. While most of the crows had fallen asleep, she felt herself begin to wake up. She had been afraid of disruption, and war sounded like a terrible disruption. It sounded like something out of a bad dream. She recalled her dream about the mountain growing up through the forest and toppling all the trees. With all this talk of owls, she had almost forgotten that she still didn't know what the dream meant. She still didn't know what the rock in her nest meant. A small voice inside her whispered, This might have nothing to do with owls, and if your family makes war on the owls, you'll be responsible for the harm that is done. Crow was ashamed. As all the remaining crows stumbled off to get needed rest, she hoped more sensible minds would prevail in the morning. Perhaps then she wouldn't have to admit that she may have gotten it all wrong. As the morning sun rose higher, Crow settled in her nest, across from the mysterious rock, and gave in to the heaviness of sleep. Halfway across the forest, another bird also headed home. Unlike Crow's family, this bird loved the velvety dark nighttime and quiet hunting. All the shouting hurt this bird's sensitive ears and scared away its breakfast. But, like Crow, this bird also returned home with a troubled heart. Ooh, this chapter, huh? Lot to say, lot to feel. Karina, I'm curious after reading it to us, thank you for that. What struck you most? What grabs you the most in this chapter? Oof, I mean, this is a hard chapter. And while we were writing it, and as I've been rereading it, especially in the light of the world as it is in this moment, I've, I've just been really gripped by this sense of what happens when fear escalates and spreads like a contagion. And particularly because we're following Crow through this story and the Crow character has this kind of childlike innocence, I feel. Like, you know, has the sense of, I don't track that much beyond me, 
but I, I, I'm, I am curious about things and I care about things and I'm disturbed by things and I want help and I'm, I'm struck by how the crow calls their family and has this trust that if I name my fear aloud, someone will have the right solution and instead the solution is worse. And oh my God, it's such a gut punch. And it just, it, it, it makes me think about how often it is easier to call attention to a problem than to devise and collaborate on, an, on a real solution. And how in even naming that problem, we can skew what the solution might be if we, if we are naming the problem inaccurately, if we haven't really digested all of That's the parts it. of it, right? That's it. How about you? It's really related. What's, what strikes me is it, it's such a continuation from last chapter where rather than having, rather than having this relatively innocent youngish crow self, you know, like go to elders and have, um, have her anxiety and dysregulation held and so that we could actually talk about what was really going on. The problem as it's being identified just kind of gets bigger and bigger and further and further away from the actual location of confusion or mystery or fear that was the start of this thing. Like the start of this thing was a dream and a rock. It was just a dream and a rock. You know, and now we've and now we've got uh -huh. aggressive, stubborn elders yelling for war. So I think the only thing I would add to that, what strikes me the most is just like I get such a feeling in my belly. I get such a feeling in my body of this kind of like sickness, this sort of sick to my stomach. Like this probably also has to do with so many of the things that are happening and happening in our world right now. That's like when things have grown so out of hand and they're so bad and you can't touch them. But in the context of this story, it's not too late. I'm also kind of aware of that. And so the sickness and the belly feeling is really, it's a little different than the one that I, I just talked about that I can feel. It's like sitting in the nest at the end of this long night and this nervous feeling that's like, I feel sick to my stomach about where that counsel led us, but maybe because I know that in order to do something about it, I have to be braver. I have to be more accountable. I have to, I have to challenge myself to be a version of myself I'm not used to being or haven't been yet that I'm worried is going to be embarrassed or shameful or just like feel awful, right? I have to, I have to put myself out there in some way to get this to change course. Which could risk all the relationships. And speaking of relationship, I'm struck by neither of us have mentioned the, the listener, the, the other bird halfway across the forest that had been listening all night. I'm, and the, the theme that we named for this particular episode, for this particular fable, is looking in from the outside. And I wondered if you wanted to speak to that a little bit. It's right at the end there, but it's kind of everything. Well, not everything, but it... Okay, I'm kind of going somewhere strange here. We'll see how it goes. Please do. It's very hard to put this into words. I'm imagining the crow in her nest, 
sick to her stomach, having a hard time getting to sleep. Crows don't stay up all night. You know, that was rough. And then I have this idea of this mysterious onlooker. We might have a little bit of an idea of who they are, but we don't want to... Could it possibly be the owl? Probably. I don't know. Something about them both having feelings in their bellies. Something about them both going to sleep nervous that night. Right? Like, that's where it ends, is that there's there's a shared feeling of trouble between these two, even though they don't have any connection with each other yet. Well, I think I think you're speaking to something that the story is leading us toward, which is that in connecting their two experiences at the end of this chapter, there is a connection. They are both in the same forest. They are both aware of what happened this night, <clears throat> and they're both troubled by it. And that alone is a basis for solidarity, yeah. for community. Yeah. But they don't know this about each other yeah. yet. Yeah. And doesn't that have its own kind of emotional quality to it as well, where after this chapter where Crow has spoken to her family, at the end of it, the only other being in the forest that we know might be feeling the same way is the one that they have identified as the enemy. Before we go to the final section of this, Karina, I wonder if you'd be willing to kind of more formally do the Crow point of view exercise because I kind of did it, but let's let's make right, it so right, that we're right. both in it. Would you just put yourself in her perspective and sort of see what comes up, what you're feeling, thinking, seeing? Yeah, yeah. So this is a hard chapter of Crow's life to want to embody. Mm -hmm. And I'm struck by throughout throughout the story so far, Crow has been seeking two things. One of them is safety and one of them is relationship. You know, that, that Crow is really like, begins with the mm -hmm. sense of my safe world has become unsafe somehow, or I imagine it has. Mm -hmm. Unclear, mm -hmm. right? But there is, there is an anxiety that prompts this entire quest. And Crow's response is, is an always a relational one. Let me go to the Swifts. Let me go to my family. Let me, let me talk to people. And through connection, perhaps I can reestablish a sense of safety, mm -hmm. possibly through, you know, I think one thing that Crow is looking for and has not received is um, a reassurance that things aren't as bad as she thinks they are. <laughs> exactly. You know, that, that there is this, exactly. like, you know, there has been this quest of like, you know, it, if anyone anywhere had been like, it's probably not a big deal. I don't know. Yeah. Why don't you go think about something else for a while? Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. What, what do you actually need? Why are you fixated on this stone, my friend? Mm -hmm. But instead, what she's experiencing is her fear escalates the fear of others. First with the Swifts and now with her own family. And that is so lonely. And that is so scary. And mm. at the end of this, she is in what I would argue is one of the most uncomfortable experiences we can have in this world, which is I may have, I may be responsible for an escalation of harm. It is not yet complete. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't actually know which way it's going. So there's still this uncertainty and I might have to do something incredibly brave and self exposing 
in order to de-escalate this harm. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting with this ethical dilemma of, do I risk my own status and my safety in my relationships in order to prevent this avalanche of harm that I see on the horizon? Or do I stay quiet and no one will ever know that it was my fault, right? Mm -hmm. Or that, you know, there's this sort of sense of, well, my hands were tied. It was everyone else. Or mm-hmm. the, the, the ways in which um, we can quietly not take accountability. Yeah. And then that, that queasy feeling settles in us. In it a way sure that is, does. Ugh, right? Yeah. And so this, honestly, like this, this chapter is the chapter I have been dreading talking about <laughs> because it's so rough. It's such a rough moment. And... I also, you know, as we're finishing up the podcast and starting to look toward what the next chapter will be, I want to hold uh, for all of our dear listeners and followers along with the fables of the calendar that this is, this is not how it's headed from here on. <laughs> the story is not going to keep getting darker, that, that this is a pivot point. Well, except, Karina, we, we are going to go more into the dark. That's <laughs> uh, the nature of the story that we're telling, but it's not the dark that you think it's going to be. And I think if you look at the image for this month, it is so mostly in the dark. You can barely piece out the crows that are on the hill and that there is some light. And it's like, I guess there might be a temptation, right? To be like, focus on the lanterns or focus on the beautiful light on the stream. But the lanterns are going to go out and the stream you know, it's going to get dark, but it's going to be beautiful. Like that, we're not talking about going to the dark, like going to war the next morning. We're talking about going to the dark, like like sitting by the stream and watching the sun go down and actually feeling the beauty of the dark around you and all that is possible inside of the darkness. For me, the lanterns in this image are a sign that the crow family doesn't trust the nighttime. And the other bird that we're talking about that we haven't been formally introduced to in the story yet, but the, but that is the title character, the beloved stranger, right? That bird's very comfortable in the dark. Where the pivoting is headed, I think, is going to move toward a deeper comfort with the dark rather than a let us bring light to it. I'm reminded of the Wendell Berry poem that I sometimes sing with the witches, if, if you are in, in those circles, you might know this as a song. I'm not the best singer, and I also am a little bit hoarse today, but I'm going to try it. It goes like this. To go in the dark with the light is to know the light. To know the dark, go dark, go without sight. And you'll find that the dark too blooms and sings and is traveled by dark feet and dark wings. Mm, that song is perfect, Karina. Thank you. We've talked a little bit about how we're pivoting after this, that this, this chapter is a pivot toward the rest of the story. Uh, we always just like to end with a sense of what do you think is going to come next? Like, where do you see this headed? I have the feeling that this might be that we're headed into sort of the beginning of what might feel belovedly strange. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> right, right. We've introduced our title character, and now we are moving more towards the beloved and more towards the strange. <laughs> yeah, and that the crow is actually potentially pivoting towards something that she has never done before. That she's going to have to be moving into strange territory in order to interrupt that sort of like old dead war machine that just like will repeat itself. The old dead fear machine that will just repeat itself. It's like if we're going to interrupt that, then we're going into strange, strange new territory. Oh, I'm very excited for strange new territory. Me too. Especially if there are talking rocks. Okay, we did it outro this is it thank you so much for coming along for chapter three we feel so proud that we managed to record this we are so proud of ourselves we got through it we're like oh yeah chapter three done let's get into the rest of it to close all we really want you to know is that we have been deep in art retreat this past week for the 2023 calendar and um it is magical and beautiful and all-consuming in terms of our time and energy and attention, which is, I think, partly why we're so proud that we actually got this done. And it might even come out on time. If you want to see some sneak peeks for the artwork that we are making for next year's calendar, as soon as we have a hot second, we're going to post them to Instagram. And you can follow us at Abacus Corvus. Joe. Karina. I have a question for you. Oh, good. What is your favorite thing about the dark? Oh, that it actually feels so welcoming. Ta-da.